Hey, pull your uh, sermon notes out. You're going to need those. Or for those of you that have the Uversion Bible app on your phone, I have the notes available for you on there. If you'll open that up and go to the more uh, section or the more button there in the lower right-hand corner and then go to events, then you should be able to pull up all of the sermon notes on your phone and follow along there and utilize that technology if you'd like to do that. Or you can use your notes, fill in the blanks, or you can do both. Whatever you would like to do, we just want you to pay attention and receive from what God has for you today. So get your Bible out, whether it's your phone or whether it's got old pages on it, whatever it is, pull those out and let's open up to Nehemiah chapter 3. <laughs> Nehemiah 3. Nehemiah 3. We've been on this Fixer Upper series and we're talking about Nehemiah and we're talking about rebuilding the wall. And uh, last time we got together, we talked about some gates and we're going to be talking about some gates again today. In Nehemiah 3, is when Nehemiah went back to the walls were torn down, the gates were all broken, and, and God gave Nehemiah a burden and to do something about it. And so he went back and he said, okay, I'm going to rebuild these walls and these gates. And so we, we talked over two gates last week, and as I was preparing and looking at it, I thought, okay, well, I'm, I'm probably going to just go ahead and finish this series. And so I was going to do all eight gates today. And then I realized that's probably not going to happen because I realize each one of these gates is very important. And so we're going to talk about them and I'm, I'm going to start reading here in, in verse one and we're going to get through a few of the gates today and then we'll, we'll go from there. Verse one says, then Eliashib, the high priest rose up with his brethren, the priests and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors and they built as far as the tower of the hundred and consecrated it. Then as far as the tower of Hananel. So remember, the sheep gate is the one that represents Jesus Christ. The sheep gate is the, the one that's an image of Jesus. Jesus was the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. So when they rebuilt the sheep gate, this is where the sheep came in for the sacrifices. So again, if you missed that message last week, get online, go to our website, and you can pick up on that. Some powerful things about what the sheep gate represents and what Jesus did for us. We need to go through the sheep gate. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. There's only one sheep gate. His name is Jesus. All right. So then it goes on to the next verse three. And also the sons of Hasana built the fish gate and they laid its beams and hung its doors and its bolts and bars. We talk about the fish gate is where they brought in all the fish from the market and they would get those ready to sell. And this is about bringing in the catch. And when we get saved, it's not just about us anymore. It's about other people that we get saved also so we can go through the fish gate and we can learn to do two things. Number one, we need to share our story. We need to testify. We need to tell other people about God. We need to invite other people to church. We need to share our, our story about what God's doing for us. We need to talk about it. That's part of the fish gate. Second part of the fish gate is we got to serve him. Remember Jesus called the disciples and he said, hey, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Everyone is called to be a fisher of men and women. We're supposed to be fishers. And we realize that if he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, if we're not fishing for people, we're not fully following him. Because he's always wanting us to be fishers. You say, well, that's not my gifting. I'm not a fisher. Yes, every single one of us are fishers of men and women in some form or fashion. So we talked about that. And then the second part was that he make his fishers of men. It says immediately they left their nets and began to follow him. So the other part about going through the fish gate is we drop our agenda and we start serving his agenda. In other words, we stop just being consumers and we start being contributors. We don't come in just to get ours, we come to serve. 
That's why we believe in doing a tend one, serve one here, because we believe in you getting fed and growing in your relationship with God, and then we believe you turning around and serving someone else. It's the heart of the house. You want to be a servant. You want to give into what God's called you to do. So those are the two gates. Now let's go to the next gate. The next gate we're going to find in, in verse 6. Verse 6 says, Moreover, Jehoiada, the son of Passia and Meshulam, the son of Basodia, Basodia, repaired the old gate. Everybody say old gate. And laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Repaired the old gate. Now, why would we mess with an old gate? Well, the old gate, there in your notes you see, this is about renewal. The The old gate is about renewal. Funny thing about the old gate, the old gate was in the new part of town. And so with the old gate, there's two things that I'm going to emphasize today when we rebuild these gates. It's very important. If you'll bring up the the screen here, I want you to see this is the image of the wall that we're building. If you wondered what the wall looked like that we're talking about in Nehemiah chapter 3, this is an image of what it looked like. This is a shape of the the gate, of the wall itself. Anybody recognize what is that gate or what do those walls look like? What shape is that in the form of? It looks like a foot, doesn't it? And so I was looking at that, and it looks like a foot. And God began to speak to me, and he said, listen, you need each one of these gates. Because what do we, how do we make a foot makes a footprint when we're walking? He said, you need every one of these gates in your walk with Christ. What blew my mind is even thousands of years ago when God gave the design on how this city wall was going to be shaped, he's bringing it together and saying also for me in 2017, this is how it's relevant that each one of these gates will help me in my walk with Jesus. I mean, that didn't even look like a good shape for a city wall. Doesn't make sense. But God knows everything. And even what he's doing thousands of years ago is relevant to you today. So the reason why we're going over each one of these gates is because you need each one of these gates in your life. So my, my goal, my desire through the Holy Spirit is for help us get relevance that God just didn't put these gates in there, give them a name just because. God doesn't do things just because. He does things for a reason, and he wants to bring it into your life so it will help you. So we talked about the sheep gate, then we talked about the fish gate. Here we are, we're at the, the old gate. The old gate. Two things about the old gate that I think are very important. It is the gate of renewal. The old gate is about things that should never change, and it's about things that have to change. The old gate, about things that should never change and about things that should or have to change. Let's look at the things that should never change. Number one, the things that should never change is the message. If we're going to have a walk with Jesus, if we're going to serve God, the old gate, the reason the old gate is relevant in our life is there's some things that should never change. Usually, old is thought of as a negative term. Right? We say things like, out with the old, in with the new. God's doing a new thing. And all those things are true. But, you know, there's some things about the old gate that are also important. And the thing that's important about the old gate for us is that God's saying that the message should never change. Our methods should change, but the message itself should never change. We want to make sure that we're holding on to the timeless truths of the word of God and what God's spoken into our hearts. Look at Jeremiah 6, 16. It says, thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is 
and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. One thing we have to remember about the old gate that's important is that we need to remember that God said, he said, here, ask for the old pass. Now, a lot of times people get excited about this. They say, yes, we need to go back to the old times, the good old days. But usually what people are referring to when they say the good old days, they're talking about the good old methods, the way we used to do it. And God's not talking about that in the old gate. He's talking about going back to the same message. In other words, if I can give an encouragement to any believer, young or old, we cannot get past the foundational truths of the word of God. If we want to be successful, we need the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. We need to get the word in our hearts. There's a lot of new methods. There's a lot of new ways. You know, you're looking at notes and Bible on your phone now. You can listen to it. You can have it playing. However you get it in you, that's not the issue. The fact is you need to get it in you. The old gate is Jesus is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's still truth where Psalm says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. The only way we're going to be successful as believers is when we have a relationship with the word of God. It's Pentecost Sunday, and again, I remember I mentioned that the Ten Commandments were given on Pentecost Sunday, and the old gate is about remembering, you and I remembering, if we don't know the Bible, we don't know God. Because what happens If we don't get our boundaries of our beliefs from the word of God, then we get our boundaries from ourselves or we get our boundaries from other people. In other words, it's like all of a sudden we will decide if we can do something or not based on what we think. Well, I don't see anything wrong with that. I don't see, well, society says that's okay now. We need the word of God. We need the old gate. We got to have the old gate. We can't get so modern that we forget that the Bible is, your impor- is, is, your, is vital to our success in our walk with Jesus. That's what I like about the old gate. Sometimes old is good. There's nothing wrong with the word of God. So some things should never change. And one of those things is, is the word. We want to make sure and, and get that into our hearts and make sure we don't lose that. But things that have to change about the old gate. So here's the second thing about the old gate I thought was good. Some things that are old have to change. And that's our minds. We have to change our minds. When you begin to serve Jesus, when you begin your walk with Christ, there's some things, some old things that you have to do away with. We need to build a gate between our old life and our new life. There comes a time when you say, okay, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. At some point, your old self is going to start talking to you. Come follow me. Come back to me. It's like a calling, old ways, old desires, old urges, old friends. The old life is going to be calling to you. The reason you need your old gate, you're going to go through the sheep gate, you're going to get saved, you're going to go through the fish gate, start serving God. But somewhere along your walk, the old gate is going to try and draw you back. The old way of life, the old thinking. But he said in Romans 12 too, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind. We got to renew the mind. Your spirit, when you get born again, you go through the sheep gate, your spirit is reborn, but your mind has to be renewed. Here's the importance of a renewed mind. When I'm born again, I have a brand new spirit on the inside of me. But God says, you need to renew your mind because the renewed mind determines which part of you is engaged, either your new spirit 
or your old flesh. My renewed mind determines which one I will engage. I will either engage the new voice of God in me or I will engage the old flesh. And so we got to renew our mind. we got to go through that process of the old gate, cutting off old things, getting rid of things in our past. Because some things, you know, he says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Old things passed away, behold, all things become new. What becomes new when you get born again? Your spirit. All things become new. Notice what it says. Old things pass away. I don't know if you found this in your life. When I started serving Jesus, some things passed away but some things had to be killed. Galatians says it this way, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Some things pass away. Some things, when I got born again and had a relationship with God, all of a sudden the desires were completely gone and I had no pull for those. Other things I had to kill along the way. It wasn't because salvation wasn't enough. It wasn't because the grace of God wasn't enough. It's because there were things that I still held on to that I had to learn how to release. My mind had to be renewed to say, Chad, that's not good for you anymore. Release that. Embrace what God has for you. The renewed mind says, Chad, that new part of you, engage that. That my new mind is the one that tells me to do that. When I renew it, then now forgiving is good, hatred bad. Bitterness, bad. Joy, good. I've got got to get the renewed mind to know and engage that I'm going to give instead of receive. Renewed mind helps us. So this is part of the old gate. We've got to get rid of some of our old. We've got to crucify it in our passions and desires. Some of the old things in our life, you're just going to have to hunt down and kill them off. Kill them off. And I don't mean that harsh. I'm just saying there's some desires in your life that you say, God, Will you take this away, take this away, take this away? Some things you just have to crucify the flesh. In other words, you just got to say no. Building the old gate, let me simplify it for you this as we move on to the next gate. The the old gate simplifying this part is just saying at some point in your walk with God, you got to say no to you. Got to say no to your flesh. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to talk that way anymore. I'm I'm growing up into that. So now let's look at the next gate. Let's go down to verse 13. Well, on our way to 13, there's a couple things that I found in here that I thought were important. I mentioned this before, and I think it's going to jump out. I don't, these won't be on the screen, so you'll look at these in verse 8. Talking about these builders. I want to highlight two things that I think will help you in this, in this builder's program here. They also made repairs. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs. I thought that was so interesting. I'm like, one of the perfumers. What's a perfumer? I still don't know what a perfumer does. But I noticed that it kind of jumped out at me. One of the perfumers made repairs. He didn't mention the occupation of any of the other people. He mentioned a perfumer. And so as I thought about mentioning the occupation of a perfumer, I'm just going to make my application of it. You can make what you think it is. I believe a perfumer, this was not his gifting to build walls. But God was saying that the perfumer is here doing the work of God, doing something outside what he's naturally called to do because sometimes we've got to serve places even if it's not our natural gifting. In other words, it's all hands on deck. We need to rebuild this wall. The perfumer says, I'll build a wall. I don't know how to build a wall, but if you show me, I'll jump in and build a wall. It's saying, is there a willingness to serve even if it's not your green? Is there a willing to throw in a hand for a while and help out? The perfumer's building. I believe believe that Nehemiah is saying, hey, if we got the perfumer here building, you guys get off the couch and get out here and help us build. 
know what the perfumer does, but that's what I, and then I want to show you one other group that I think was really powerful to speak to us. Look in verse 12. And next to him was Shalom, the son of Halohesh, the leader of half the district of Jerusalem. He and his daughters made repairs. As a father of four daughters, I love that verse. He said, he and his daughters made repairs. I think that speaks even in the Old Testament to us in the New Testament of the desire for men and women to serve and work side by side. He was saying, hey, he, this guy and his daughters were out there making repairs. It's not just the men out here working on the wall. This guy's got his daughters out here working. I want my daughters to build the wall of the kingdom of God in their life. I want them to fulfill their purpose and fulfill their destiny. It's all hands on deck working on this wall. So now... Let's go on to verse 13. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate. Everybody say valley gate. Valley gate, valley gate, valley gate. This valley gate is located at the low point in the terrain around the city. This represents humility. In our walk with Christ, we need humility. Two things we're going to talk about. One of our core values here at Crossroads Bible Church, we go low and we grow. We go low and we grow. Well, that's the valley gate. The valley gate is our core value. And because the first part is humility, and the next part is we need to grow. So here's where the valley gate is located. Notice here on the, on the map, it's down here on the, on the lower part of the terrain. But I want to point out something as he says it's on the lower part of the terrain because this speaks to humility again. We go low. Look what it says in 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. In our walk with Jesus, we need humility in our life. We need humility. Why? Because God resists the proud. He does, he opposes the proud. If you study that word resist out, it means he stands against in behavior and attitude. In other words, God's saying, I am going to oppose you in how I believe and how I act. He opposes the proud. He doesn't want anything to do with the proud. So we don't want anything to do with the proud. We need to get rid of pride. You know, sometimes in our culture, pride is celebrated. But in the kingdom of God, it is not celebrated. It's resisted. But look what he does to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. Gives grace to them. And it goes on to say, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Humble yourselves. Be clothed with humility. Anytime your Bible uses the phrase, be clothed with, or someone was clothed with, that means that's something you have to put on yourself. How many of you went to the closet and your clothes came upon you? Didn't happen. Humility doesn't come upon you. You clothe yourself with it. If you're waiting for humility to come upon you, it's meaning that you're not an active participant, and we have to be active participants in humility. Yes. Yes. Amen. Good word, brother. Thank you. (laughs) But we have to clothe ourselves with humility. It's not some, God, can you please make me humble? He's not going to make you something that you don't participate with because he can bring circumstance. You say, well, all right, Lord. Yeah, okay. So I'm just asking him how he wants me to go about this because here I've heard this. Well, the Lord's just humbling me. I have a problem with that statement. Here's my problem with the statement. If circumstances can humble you, how come someone else can go through the same circumstances and two people have different perspectives on the same circumstance? 
It's what you partner with. You can go through a situation and you can humble yourself through that situation or someone else can go through that same situation and not humble themselves. I've seen people go into situations, go through devastation, tragedy, go through whatever it may be, and they come out a totally different person. They're humbled. They have a different perspective. It's awesome. I've seen people go through the exact type of thing and come out and still as prideful as they were when they went in. We have to partner with God for us. We have to humble ourselves. And that's what he's telling us here. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you. The Bible says in Matthew 23, 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now this, remember this. Here's another thing I'm gonna address is false humility. Humility is not about us rejecting or downplaying our identity in Christ. Here's where things get mixed up. The valley gate is not about you rejecting or downplaying who you are in Christ or saying, I'm not this, I'm worthless, I'm no good. That's not humility. Humility is not when you reject and downplay what Jesus says about you. Humility is when you just allow him to be the one to tell you who you are. Catch this for a moment. See, pride is when we control our own identity. And you can do that before salvation, and you can do that after salvation. Pride is when I'm the one who determines who I am. So after I get born again, I can still say, I'm no good, I'm worthless. And it can sound like humility, but God says it's pride because you won't receive what I say about you. When you control your identity and you don't embrace who you are in Christ because you don't feel worthy... It can sound like humility, but it's pride because we're the one controlling our identity. When we're the one controlling who we are, we're prideful. But if I will in humility say, God, I am everything that you say I am, even if I don't feel like it, that is humble. But the world won't call it humble. Well, who do you think you are? I know who you are. I know what all you've done. You shouldn't be acting all joyful. I know your track record. Hey, I'm just embracing who he says I am and not letting myself determine who I am. That's humility with God. Because I'm not going to let people or I'm not going to let myself control my identity. Humility is saying, Jesus, I know I feel like a bucket of trash right now, but you say I'm a son. So I'm going to live my life today through that identity. That is a definition of humility. Live your life under his definition of your identity instead of letting other people determine. That's truly what humility looks like. So that's part of the valley gate. Number one is is going low. The next part is growing. Notice, bring up the map. Show again where the valley gate is. Notice we got these up here at the front. We got the sheep gate, the fish gate, and the old gate. And then notice there's this long stretch with no gates. And then a valley and a long stretch. Because after we get born again, there's going to be times in our lives where we're going to go through the valley. When you go through a valley, usually we always consider a valley as a negative. But I want you to see the positive of going through a valley. The Bible says this in Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Where is he with you? In the great times, we're in the mountaintops, we're in the the valley. And he says, behold, you are with me. You're with me where? In In the valley. He's with me in the valley. So if you feel like you're going through a valley in this season of your life, I want you to be encouraged because he's with you. 
What's another way that you know he's with you? Notice it says the valley of the shadow of death. It's not death itself, it's a shadow. When we're in the valley, it feels like we're dying. Sometimes it even looks like it's dying because there's a shadow. But what can you, you can't have a shadow without a light. You can't have shadow without the sun. So when I'm walking through my valley and I see a shadow of death, I know there's a sun somewhere shining in my life. So I should be encouraged that the shadow tells me there's a presence of light in my life. I can either focus on that shadow and get discouraged about the shadow, or I can say, hey, there's sun somewhere. I don't know where it is. I may not even feel it right now, but I know there's light shining in my life because I see a shadow. He's with me. He's with me no matter what. So we got to realize we got to grow through this season. We grow the most in the valley. If I encourage a believer, I'm telling you, in the the valley seasons is where we're going to grow the most. Not a lot of things grow on the mountaintops. You know, if you go to the mountains, there's not a lot of things growing on the mountains. But in the valley, it's where everything grows. So as we looked at that and we see that our walk with God, we see that valley gate, we got to realize that this is a place where sometimes we're growing the most. And sometimes when you grow, you have what's called growing pains. Maybe you experienced these as a child as you're growing up. Maybe you had some growing pains. But as we grow in our walk with God, we're going to have some growing pains. That growing pains is a stretching of your body stretching of your bones. You're going to have a stretching in your walk with God. God's going to stretch you. Why? Because he wants to grow you. God's not interested in your comfort. He's interested in your growth. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) Because sometimes you're growing and you're like, I'm growing, I'm growing, ouch, I'm growing. It hurts sometimes to grow, but some people just go through their life and they try to avoid pain so much, even at the expense of their growth. Some people will try and avoid pain. I just want no pain, no pain, no pain. Even if it means I don't grow, I don't care if I grow, I just don't want any pain. That's a dangerous place to be in. I'm not saying you ask for pain. I'm just saying you walk through the pain. Walk through the valley of the shadow of death because he is with you. He's growing you. He's developing you. The lack of growth in our life will be far more painful than the pains we experience as a result of our growth. The lack of growth in our life will be far more painful than the pains we experience as, we, as a result of our growth. Remember, that, and if you're in a valley right now, let me encourage you with this real quick. You know it takes two mountains to create a valley? So if you're walking through a valley, I want you to know something that your next mountain is just ahead. It's just ahead. It's just ahead. So we just see that through the valley gate. We need the valley gate. Let's look at the next gate. In verse, uh, let's go to verse 14. You like this one. Malchijah, the son of Rechab, the leader of the district of Beth Hecarim, repaired the refuse gate or the dung gate. He built it and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. It's fitting that the refuse gate or the dung gate would be after the valley gate because oftentimes that's what we feel like after we've gone through the valley. It's being real. Sometimes you go through a valley, you don't, you're not... It's not always the greatest feeling in the world. So this is where we, the refuse gate is about our trash. We need a place where we dump our trash. And this is what the refuse gate's for. If you'll see where it bring up where the refuse gate is here on the map. Here's the refuse gate or the dung gate, they call it, right down here at the very bottom. 
It's at the bottom. And I want you to see something on this, on this uh, picture here, how all of our stuff, all the gates that we're experiencing, it's going down. We're going through down difficult times. But here at the trash gate, at the dung gate, the refuse gate, is where things take a turn and we get ready, get ready to start going up. And you're going to see over these next few gates that this is a crucial point in your walk with Jesus. Some people never get past the dung gate. They never go past the refuse gate. We have to have this gate if we're going to start our way up and see the glory of these next few gates. There's a preparation. Again, this footprint, it's just incredible what God did with this thing. This footprint is just an example of how God wants our walk with him to, to continue through this process and how we, how we have to enter through the sheep gate and the fish gate and the old gate and then come down. We've got to be willing to endure the long part of valley gates and then we get to the bottom and here's what we do at the dung gate, the refuse gate, the trash. We've got to empty it out. Mal, the guy who built this, his name was Malkijah. thought it's fitting that his name means the Lord is king. So here's the key, the trash gate. You ready for this? This gate is about getting rid of the garbage in our lives and making Jesus the king over our hearts. Because his name was the Lord is king. Trials are difficult when we're going through them, but when they're over, oftentimes we'll see how much trash God got rid of in our life. It's important. This is what we want to do. Here's a scripture for it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. I count them as rubbish. I count them as loss. I count them as garbage. I count them as trash. Here's something that's very important. We've got to get rid of the trash in our life. We've got to get it out. He said, I count all things as rubbish. So in our walk with Jesus, there's going to come a time that you're going to have to get rid of some things that used to be valuable to you, but now they become a hindrance to you. Here's the holdup with the trash gate. Is that the trash gate? It's where you have to take out things that you used to like. How many have ever tried to clear out a closet? Cleared out storage? And you find these things, you're like, uh, do I get rid of it? No, I might use that someday 15 years from now. I might. I know I haven't used it in 12 years, but maybe the next 12 I could need it a lot. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a memorabilia. Maybe, I don't know what it's something precious to you. Or you have trouble getting rid of that because of memories. You have no function of it right now, but the memories hold you. It's like, oh, that's my shirt that I wore when I was a senior in high school. Don't hit your husband. You know, just let him receive from the Lord. <laughs> so this is, this is what happens. And so that's the natural, but now let's bring it home to the spiritual. There's some things in our life that God says, now that you're my son or daughter, I want you to consider that part trash compared to what I want to give you. And here's what we will do. We will look at it and we will say, what's wrong with that? And God said, no, 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 don't look at what's wrong with that. Look at the value of what I'm giving you in return. The reason we get hung up at the refuse gate is because we're not willing to call trash what God calls trash. We keep it as valuable. We hang on to it. We don't want to get rid of it. Maybe it's an old habit. I've heard this before. Well, everybody has at least one vice, and this is my one vice. 
So they hang on to their trash because it has some sort of value to them. But it would be like this. You know, as a father of five children, I've recognized this over the, over the years. It would be like us saying, you know, we just, we just got one dirty diaper that we decided to keep. We got rid of all the other ones. But we got this one that was special to us because... Just running things around the track. It was special to us, and so we kept it. And we didn't, we didn't put it in the living room, mind you. We put it in the back room, in a closet. It's our special trash. I mean, everybody's got to have one vice. But the problem is when people come over to our house, <laughs> what's, do you smell something? I don't know, baby, it's our first time in their house. Don't say anything. <laughs> something smells. What is that? What does that smell? See, the problem is if you live in it, I used to work on a hog farm. If you live in it long enough, you don't smell it. I used to go home and take a shower and go to be with my friends. They'd be like, dude, you stink. I'm like what? You smell like pigs. It didn't come out of your skin. You smell it, get up in your nostrils. You smell it for days. You live in trash long enough, you don't even recognize it's there. We got to have the refuse gate. Because sometimes it takes someone else coming over to your house and going, dude, that stinks. For us to realize it's something we need to get rid of. This is why we need our brothers and sisters because we talk about this all the time. We all have a blind spot. We don't see it. We don't admit it or we don't see it. Nothing's wrong. It's all good. Everything's fine. Yeah, but something stinks. What is it? It's trash. Don't keep a sacred vice in your life and allow it to stink up. See, because I've been to India and they would take their trash and they just throw it anywhere, everywhere. The problem is, is the trash gets in their clean water and now their clean water is contaminated. And what used to be good water is now contaminated by the trash that they wouldn't get rid of because the sanitation of a city is, is determined by their ability to dispose of their waste. The health, the sanitation of our life is dependent on our ability to get rid of our trash. Because when I keep my trash in my life, all of a sudden it starts to contaminate other areas. Other areas that used to be good, all of a sudden they start stinking too. Little habits, it's just a little magazine issue. I mean, all guys do it. I mean, they're not horrible movies. They're just suggestive. Trash. I don't know what it is. I'm just throwing out examples. But the refuse gate for us is vitally important for us to be successful in our walk with God because he wants to trade our trash for his treasures. He wants to make the exchange for you. Anything that he calls trash, even if you don't think it's trash, 
compared to what he wants to give you, you need to believe what he says. You need to believe what he says. So I wanna finish with this last thing about this, this gate. Right here, bring up the map again real quickly. I wanna show this about you. This, this dung gate right down here, this is a place where they took out the trash in this valley. This valley is where they take all their trash out there and they would burn it. And they burn all their trash out there and so it's constantly burning. This is the place that Jesus referenced when he said this in Mark chapter nine. He said, it is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than to have two hands to go to hell or Gehenna, which is this valley, into the fire that shall never be quenched. What is he saying? He was calling this valley. You're going to bring it up again, this uh, place down here at the bottom. They burnt their trash there, so it was constantly burning. And Jesus pointed this out. And he said, you know where Gehenna is, where the trash is always burning? He said, that is what hell's like. The problem is some people took that description. They became, came up with theology that there is no literal hell because... Gehenna was this. That wasn't what Jesus was saying. He was making an analogy so they would have a visual of when you don't get rid of your trash in your life. He said, I would rather you stay alive maimed than to go into eternal damnation because you would not get rid of your trash. There's things that's going to hold us back from a relationship with God, and we have to walk away from them. We have to put it out into the burning pit while we're alive and say, God, I want to get rid of that. Sounds strong, but that's the picture that Jesus was painting. He says, listen, we take our trash out there, and it never stops burning in the valley in Gehenna. And he says, the same way, if you go to hell, it will never stop burning there. So take out your trash now. Get it out of your life. 